welcome to IOM3 Investigates, the podcast series of the Institute of Materials, Minerals and Mining. We are one of the UK's major science and engineering institutions and our activities are focused on the promotion and development of all aspects of the materials cycle. These include the science, design, engineering and technology of materials, minerals and mining and their practical applications. We facilitate qualifications, professional recognition and development, share knowledge and provide networking services to a global membership and wider community. We hope you enjoy our podcast series. Hello and welcome to IM3 Investigates. I'm Sarah Morgan, news editor of the Institute's member magazines, Materials, World and Play Technology, and today I'm hosting a podcast on ethnic minority diversity in STEM. Our guests today are Professor Robert Mukaya, a Kenyan-British chemist who is Professor of Materials Chemistry and Pro Vice-Chancellor for Global Engagement at the University of Nottingham. He is a Royal Society Wilson Research Merit Award holder 2017 to 2022, was awarded OBE in 2022 for services to the chemical sciences and was elected Fellow of the Royal Society in 2022-3. Dr Elway Collins Harrison, Senior Systems Engineer Consultant at Transport for London and Co-Chair and Executive Board Member Association for Black and Minority Ethnic Engineers. And finally, AJ Kapadia, Knowledge Transfer Manager, Advanced Composites at U- Innovate UK, KTN, and the Chair of the IOM3 Ethnic Minorities in Materials, Minerals and Mining Group. Thank you all for joining me today. Before we start, it is worth setting a bit of context to this discussion. According to the UK's Royal Society of Chemistry, across all subjects, only 0.8% of UK professors identify as black, while 7.5% identify as Asian and 88.5% as white. At undergraduate level, 4.9% of students identify as black, higher than the 3% of UK population who identify as black. However, this drops sharply after undergraduate studies, with just 1.4% of postgraduate chemistry students, 1% of non-professional academic chemistry staff and 0% of chemistry professors identifying as black. It should be noted this 0% equates to one black chemistry professor who we have here with us today. Thus, the report highlights a failure to retain and nurture minority ethnic students. The Royal Academy of Engineering, meanwhile, recently reported that underrepresented groups continue to report experience of bullying, harassment and other forms of discrimination in the workplace. One in three engineers, equating to 35%, who responded to the survey have had such experiences. The evidence points to a continuing challenging landscape for ethnic minority STEM professionals. Before we launch into your thoughts on these areas, I'd be keen to hear what inspired you all individually to get into STEM. And if we could start with Robert. Thank you very much, Sarah. I'm a chemist, I'm professor of materials chemistry, and so I uh, got interested in chemistry. And the thing really that uh, got me interested in chemistry is my curiosity and uh, my sort of uh, nature of asking questions, how things work, why does this do this, why does this do that? And chemistry was, uh, as I recognized going through uh, secondary school and high school, started to answer those uh, those questions. But actually, the influences for wanting to do a uh, sort of a science degree also came from my uh, my own family. I come from a large family. Um, I have got seven brothers and a sister, and I'm one of the younger ones. So some of the older ones had gone through uh, schooling, much further ahead than I was. 
uh, and uh, most of them had been scientists. My eldest brother was a pharmacist, and, um, uh, and and so there was sort of a scientist in the family, and that that actually influenced me. Uh, but I found that chemistry started to answer some of the questions that I had then, and I still have now. Thank you. Dr. Awe, would you like to speak next? Yes, thank you, Sarah. For me, I think it's very similar to... Um, Professor Makaya. So when I got to high school, I got to the point where I needed to decide if I wanted to um, go for sciences or art. It was an easy decision for me because I really did not like literature and history and all of the other art subjects. But then when I got into that stage of secondary school, I started to enjoy it and I really enjoyed physics and mathematics, not so much biology and chemistry. So when it became time to um, decide what to do, I grew up in a family of engineers. My dad's a chemical engineer and he, he's very academic. He's a professor. So he was very, we, we could see all of, the, all of the work he was doing at home. And I found that exciting. But then I didn't find it exciting in the sense of going into chemical engineering because I didn't have that much love for chemistry. Rather, I went to them um, towards my cousin's direction because at the time, my cousin was studying electrical and electronic engineering. So he had all of these projects he used to bring back home. And I, I really enjoyed taking apart old radio sets, emphasis on old, to um, avoid the wrath of, of, of other family members. So old broken radio sets, I would take them apart and look at the, the PCBs inside. And I found that really exciting. But then ironically, when it was time to go to uni, I never considered engineering because I didn't think that it was something, it, it just wasn't on my mind because I had never known a female engineer or um, I just thought, okay, that's not for me, regardless of the interest I had. So I needed a bit of handholding and steering, which my dad did for me. Because what he did was to say, oh, well, you love this. You've been doing this and you really enjoy this. Why don't you um, go into engineering? And at that point, I felt like it was already too late because I didn't do the um, additional mathematics courses I needed. But regardless, I had that support and encouragement. And that was what got me into engineering. Thank you for that. And finally, AJ Kapadia. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> it was kind of made for me, really, going into uh, I did a first degree in mechanical engineering. I mean, um, you know, as a as a young Asian boy coming from a first generation Indian family, you know, we didn't have the English skills. Yeah, English is, was really my second language. The first time I encountered it was when I went to primary school when I was four years old. I struggled with English, and uh, and so therefore all the more written subjects were very challenging for me. On the other hand, maths and science and physics and that sort of thing was was you know I didn't have the same sort of uh, language barriers that that um, you know I would have had if I'd studied literature or history or anything like that. So and so uh, I found myself excelling at things like maths and physics, and that then led me to to do do mechanical engineering. And and actually I found I found it hugely uh, stimulating uh, as a subject to see how things work and. Um, how 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 things are made and uh, it was absolutely absolutely fascinating uh, subject. But I came across it by my lack of language skills. Thank you, AJ. That's very interesting. So, all of you thinking about your answers, do you think today's STEM landscape has markedly improved from a racial diversity standpoint since you first studying and joining the workplace? Um, and Robert, if we could start with you again. So I would say um, uh, yes and no. <laughs> uh, so. Certain things remain much the same. I mean, if you if you look at the statistics uh, in terms of inclusion, uh, those numbers have not really changed um, over the last uh, twenty or so years. Uh, the numbers that you quoted um, 
uh, in your introduction uh, have remained much much the same. There has been very little change. So in in, in that context, um, not very much has um, uh, has changed. But there are certain things that have moved on a little bit or are starting to move on a little bit uh, from from you know from from my own experience. Uh, first of all, uh, it, it seems uh, to be the case that now we are having a conversation about. Uh, the diversity in STEM. Now, if I look back um, 20, 25 years, that conversation wasn't really there. Uh, and there were conversations about diversity, but they were focused on other things, uh, but not so much on sort of um, the sort of uh, uh, lack of diversity that we are uh, looking at uh, today. So, so that has changed. And I think having that conversation uh, can be seen as uh, being positive, but obviously only time will tell whether those conversations that need to any tangible change that brings about uh, the, uh, the, the the changes that are actually needed. The other thing that I think that is happening more now than uh, before is that people are, that, that we are we are generally much more minded to actually uh, look at data uh, because uh, again going back uh, there was very little data that anybody could look could could look at. So if you if you wanted a picture in terms of what the data was saying at a particular point. That data was not being collected um, for whatever reason. And so even the idea that one can set up a baseline didn't exist. Data is now being collected now. You've just referred to the missing elements report, and there are so many other reports. So, so that has changed. So we have data that actually is painting this picture that nobody can really argue with because actually that is the reality. And that is what uh, the data is actually saying. So that those those two things in terms of the conversation and the day and the data, and of course the, the 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 collection of the data and people's willingness to start actually collecting the data is what is leading to the conversation. But I I just feel we need to move a little bit further than than, than those two scenarios, and perhaps uh, uh, the others will have a slightly different view. Awe, would you like to speak on this? Yes, um, I would say I completely agree with what Professor Mokaya has said. For me, I would say, yes, it has changed because um, when I first started working, there weren't many conversations around racial diversity or statistics and, and the numbers that you talked about earlier. And now we're having more conversations about it. Back then, there were a lot of initiatives, you know, a lot of STEM um, 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 ambassadors going into schools, but there wasn't that much focus on the racial disparity. But now it's it's a topic that is more um um it, it's it's being considered at different organizations from um, um corporate organizations to universities to even schools and to to young people. So I think that these conversations being had now will create the effect that we want to see in the years to come. And certainly now it's a bit now that we're having these conversations, it's a bit more improved because there is that awareness. And then as we go along, we'll start seeing the changes that we want to see. Maybe not as quickly as we want to, but I think that those changes will come. AJ. Yeah, I think there's been a massive change. I mean, you know, I I, I went to university in 1989, and I went from my A levels in my high school which was like this multi-gender, multi-ethnic, you know, I grew up in Northwest London uh, environment, to walking into my uh, first day of lectures, there was about 100 of us, there was two, four girls, and there was two, um, two, two non-white people, one of whom was me. And I, and I was like, how did that happen? You know, how, how did I go from a world which was multi-ethnic and multi-gender into this kind of male, white dominated world? But that was then. And, and I think if you 
if you look around any campus now, that that is that is not the case. And um, I, mean, I was interested to hear your 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 statistics earlier on, but the Royal Academy of Engineering thinks that um, or has data which says that a quarter, a quarter, twenty, actually a little bit more than a quarter, twenty-seven percent of uh, engineering graduates are from ethnic minority backgrounds that's that that so in, in terms of education that's that's really changed then in, in the workplace that there's been a bit less progress i would say so when i got my first job it was actually on the uh, isle of wight and i was certainly the only non-white person working in my company and there was probably about a thousand people uh working in that company but I may even have been the only non-white person on the Isle of Wight. So that has changed. But what we see is that although 27% of engineering graduates are from ethnic minority backgrounds, that is not then translated into uh, you know people from ethnic minority backgrounds taking up engineering as a profession. Thank you. So clearly we have a long way to go. What do you think might be holding back ethnic minority diversity in STEM, Robert? Thanks, uh, Sarah. That is a that is a good question, and uh, I, I wish there was a simple answer because it's actually quite complex. Uh, but I can on I can reflect on um, perhaps some of the things that I I, I think are, are holding um, uh, people back. Uh, one of which really is just the culture in STEM, the the the, the, the culture that there is, and and this is um uh, this is what makes it a very challenging uh, situation. Uh, that there is a culture that has sort of uh, developed over many years and, uh, and 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 bedded in, and actually, unless the sort of uh, schemes that have been alluded to are dealing with that culture in terms of uh, the individuals within STEM and uh, and who they wish to support, who who they wish to recruit, who they need to make space for in, in their environment, unless that culture actually uh, changes. And actually, if, if, if it changes only in a part of the uh, of the environment and not, then it is it is not being effective. There needs to be a, a total change and a, and a recognition uh, that actually uh, STEM itself is being shortchanged by not having the diversity that would uh, make it uh, perform uh, better. I think the, the other thing is that, uh, yes, I very much agree with what RJ said about the um, student population, which has, uh, uh, but that student population is dependent on a pipeline that then needs to remain open to uh, more senior uh, positions. Uh, and that that pipeline is either blocked or is, is, is significantly uh, re- restricted. And, and so you have them. Um, uh, you know, youngsters who are very um, ambitious and they go to university, um, but then of course they don't progress in the way one would expect or how other sections of the community do. And one would ask the question, why? Why? And I do think that, uh, and, and we may discuss this later, the question of role models is important because uh, you don't want to be some, 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 somebody or something unless you see somebody who looks like yourself. And, and 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 the lack of role models is is I think it's a big issue and uh, and of course then there's the other question of what students actually experience when they go to university so uh, yes why do we have the 27 percent or nearly a third engineering graduates but actually if you look at senior management in engineering industry where have, have these students gone uh, and the question might be that uh, I mean does the university experience actually put them off from the subject that they have studied? And do we need to look at the university experience? And I say that being an, a university administrator myself, uh, and 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 so the experience that students have in in university may be maybe putting them off. 
And in some cases, it is necessary to actually have a postgraduate degree to then be able to access the more senior positions in STEM. And if students are not progressing to those um, postgraduate degrees because they have been put off by their first uh, you know, undergraduate experience, um, then, then, then that, that, that can also be uh, very, uh, very difficult. So, so I, I think it, it is a complex issue. I have framed it in the context of, um, uh, of university experience and the pipeline uh, and, and the culture. Uh, but one might want to argue that actually it goes a little bit further back, although I do think that if you go to, uh, to, to primary schools, the level of ambition is, 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 is probably uh, not the issue there. But it is how then that progression occurs as one goes along uh, and whether and whether there are any barriers that actually mean that uh, it's not a fair system uh, as it were for everybody. Oh, what are your thoughts on this? I, I agree with what um, Professor Makaya has said largely. For me, I, um, I graduated from uni about 13 years ago. And um, I would say that in my last year at uni, I had a lot of anxiety about what I would do next. I wasn't sure if to um, proceed to postgraduate or to get a job and even getting a job that support to help me with applying. What companies would I apply to? Would I be accepted? How do I deal with not being accepted? And how do I make changes? And these are some of the things that we need to be more intentional about. But throughout my career, when I was um, when I first started working, there was a lot of emphasis on um, being a STEM ambassador, going to schools and talk to children, but then and, and, and encourage them to study or to study STEM subjects or to take up a career in STEM. But then they take up this career in STEM, and there is this bit of abandonment at uni. That support is reduced significantly. Um, um, they, they they have to then navigate these STEM subjects, especially if it's in an environment where they still need these. In addition to the educational um, support they're getting from lecturers and and from um, um, university administration, they also need this encouragement to tell them what to expect outside of uni, what happens in the world of work, giving opportunities for internships to them, or even that mentorship, as Professor Makaya said to help them with application, what to expect in industry. Now, when they get to graduation and they don't know what to expect, they don't know, okay, what's next for me? What do I do? If there isn't that clear path for them, I suppose a lot of them would do something else or find the next best thing or the first thing that's available to them, not because they don't want to continue their career in engineering, but because they they didn't know how to continue or there was just something else that came along that took their interest. So I think that, when, when, in as much as we go into schools and we encourage young children to take up career in STEM, we need to hold that and continue throughout university. And even when they get into the workforce, then there needs to be another kind of another set of programs to encourage them leadership development and um, communication, how to improve themselves and to help them climb that corporate ladder and get up to um, um, senior leadership positions. So it's it's not a one stage thing i think it's all through and even when people get into senior leadership positions they still need some support with how to deal with people how to manage people so it's it's a different level of support at, at different stages of a career thank you aj yes i i think i agree with every, everything i mean 
you know, when you when you as as a, as a fresh graduate, you turn up at an interview, or or you have a have a you know you turn up at the company, and you think, well, how many people here look like me? Then how, how am I going to fit in here? Then, but I think I I, I, I agree with everything that uh, my my two uh, panelists have said about academia. But I think I think industry really needs to step up here. You know, if the first time you're you're considering an ethnic minority candidate for a, a, any sort of position, be it a senior position or or, or even a junior position you've left it far too late that kind of succession planning that kind of kind of um career progression identifying people who who who, you know identifying people early and uh you know essentially grooming them for those positions need to start way 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 before the before the um the, the the interview and you know, I mean, I'm in a very fortunate position that I um I I go I go and uh, see lots of uh, companies, and uh, you know, you walk inside the company and it's all and it's all white, right? And then you walk out the door and it's not like that. So you ask yourself, well, what's happened here? You know, the the general populace of this region of this area is is quite mixed. So so how is it that once I walk through your doors, it doesn't represent the general populace? So employers also need to reach out to their communities to see where where do these uh, you know how do we reach out to these um, more diverse communities to to get them interested in in working for our organizations and then you kind of get a bit of a knock-on effect because once you've got a few ethnic minority people in senior positions then you know the 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 young graduates turn up at interviews and think oh look there's someone who looks like me maybe maybe you know i've got i've i've got the possibility of a of a career here. As mentioned um, in my introduction, the Royal Society of Chemistry has outlined a trend of minority ethnic people dropping out of STEM career paths. Um, you may, this may dovetail on the question before, but what do you think might be causing this, Robert? Yeah, so this this is a report that I I'm, I'm very familiar with. Um, obviously, being a being a chemist, and um, uh, I, I do really encourage uh, you know um, if you have the opportunity to read this report, um, please uh, please please do read it because it does address. Uh, Quite a lot of issues, um, and and uh, approaches this particular question in um, recognizing that it's, uh, as I already said earlier, more generally a very complex um, question. So, so I, I do I do think that um, the the level of support that um, I mentioned is actually very very I- important for students, particularly students at university who then want to transition to uh, who want to remain within within STEM, having that sort of uh, uh, support because in a sense and i mean i i like to say this um you know sh- show me any successful person really successful person who's had, who hasn't had somebody hold their hand and sort of a system who hasn't had a mentor uh, and it's very hard to find you know um such people if they exist even and so people do need mentors and 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 it's interesting to recognize that actually many of us perhaps many of those listening have had a mentor without actually even realizing that they have had a mentor, somebody they have actually looked up to, somebody they've asked questions, simple questions, somebody who's shared their own experience. Imagine yourself not being, not having that such a person. Imagine yourself having all these questions, indeed, as a wise said, and you don't have anybody you can, or nobody seems interested in actually answering those uh, questions. That already puts you at a disadvantage compared to somebody who is in an environment where these things are obvious, while for you, these are big questions and they are, they are actually blockers for you. So there might be then a tendency to, to say, okay, I mean, this is too difficult. As I said, I'll take the fast route out of this. Uh, and if that means it's not going to be a chemistry job, 
it's not going to be in STEM, then we've lost those people who actually are in 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 in, in many 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 situations excellent people who we really really need to retain uh, in STEM. So it again speaks to the culture that I mentioned before. But being being part of the crowd, being part of the network, having an ally, having a mentor having somebody who speaks about you, somebody who says good things about you, somebody who's going to write a reference for you without you sending 20 emails to them or feeling like you're badgering them. Those things are important. Now, they may seem obvious for some people and they just happen seamlessly, but for others, it's a struggle. And the question we need to ask ourselves is if, if that manifests itself as part of the reasons uh, why the, the, there is sort of this lack of progression, uh, what we need to do, uh, what do we need to do about it? Oh, hey. Yes, I, I, I really echo everything that Professor Mukaya has said. Um, I'm using myself again as an example. When I was rounding up my undergrad um, um, degree, everyone around me was applying for master's, applying for jobs, and I, I didn't know what to do. I kept applying for master's, uh, for master's degree. And when my final results came, for me, that, that person you're talking about, Professor Makana, it's my dad. All he said to me was, well, why don't you go do a PhD? And I had never thought about that. It never occurred to me that I could do that. And I said to him, really? I can do that? And he said, yeah, you can. You can do it. Your grades are good. So I think what people need is that person that would tell them, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you try this? Or encourage them to see that this, whatever it is they think is impossible is actually possible. And another thing my dad did for me was he pointed out examples of people who had done it. Oh, this person did it and they're doing this now. This person's over here doing this now. And I thought, oh, wow. So when people see other people that have been through that, they've done it and they're successful, then they'd be more encouraged to, to, to actually go out there and do it. So I think, again, that like we've said before, most the, the main reason why people drop out, in my opinion, drop out of engineering, um, um, of, drop out of taking up, um, taking up an engineering career is that support system, an effective support system to guide them through the different um, crossroads and to help them understand what the possibilities are. Thank you, Awe. AJ? Yeah, I agree with all of that. I mean, I mean, you know, STEM, STEM is a, is a, very attractive skill set yeah you've got numerical stuff you you you're analytical you're you know it's a very attractive skill set to have so you know if if the chemical industry or the engineering industry or uh, you know whichever classic uh, industry sector that they've trained for doesn't you know doesn't think much of them well, you know, they'll find more attractive sectors to go into. Do you think there are barriers to attainment at primary and secondary level education for ethnic diversity in STEM? Robert? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have a go at that. Um, the, the others may have been in, 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 in this environment uh, more recently. But and I, I, I would speak from the experience of my um, uh, being a parent now. Um, and this is talking about primary and secondary uh, level education. So um, but my only experience there really has been... Um, outreach programs and also my experience uh, as, 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 as a parent. So, so, so I do think one of the things that I, I um, has become very clear to me is the is the level of expectation. Um, uh, because if if everybody around you expects you to be um, this or that, or actually the person that is uh, 
you're looking up to who's your teacher or uh, so the environment is telling you that this is this is your career path this is where you should be heading this is what you should uh, should be doing and actually to be able to do this this is what you should be attaining and the idea that we can actually say to people that they are doing well are they doing well or are they doing well at their level and when you say their level what does their level mean and does that, is that dumping down or or what does that actually I mean so here I'm really, I'm really talking about the expectations uh, and those those, those those expectations can actually be a barrier to to attainment so I mean are there any barriers to attainment in terms of the the, the individuals I don't think there is an issue there but it may be that um, the the environment um, and the sort of signals that um, people get in those environments then actually push them in, into a particular direction. Uh, and that direction may not necessarily be the one that would bring out their their their, their, their highest level of, um, of 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 attainment. And 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 I also think that um, the other the other barrier may be maybe just information, just just information and 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 uh, knowing what's possible and what's not possible. Uh, and and if you if you can only see as far as um, uh, the end of and I'm just using this uh, as an example, if you can only see the up to the end of your village. You don't know that an airport exists or that there actually is a world out there. And you will limit your entertainment up to the end of your, your village. And so, so, so information is important in terms of freeing uh, young people in primary and second school to be able to see that they actually belong in this great uh, and big world and they have a contribution to make. And they can be those great people that they, they, they actually um, uh, see there. So I guess if, if, there, is, if, if there are barriers, then... They, they are really uh, are to do with them uh, not not inherent in the individual, but actually in the system and how they uh, certain sections of the community are able to navigate through those um, uh, those th- that system to be able to be seen as having uh, gotten to the highest level. Thank you, Awe. Yes, I completely agree. I always say that one of the most important things in life is your mindset, and mindset can be contagious. If a particular student for instance for instance in primary school is going to school and being told by people around maybe family members or friends or the, the the people around them pumping all of these negative things saying oh well you don't need to do all of this well you can't do that you're you're, you're not able to do that or no one no one in your family has studied the stem subject before how can you possibly do it how do you want to do it give it time that person that individual will start thinking well i, I can't do it it's not possible for me so the mindset is very very important and this is why i'm i'm a huge advocate of going into schools, talking to young children, showing them the possibilities, what's out there. Like Professor Makaya said, if you can if you can only see the end of your village, you can't see beyond that. You wouldn't even know that there's an airport unless someone comes and tells you, well, there's an airport somewhere. Let me show you. And then when they show you, it's like this light bulb moment. Wow, so there is an airport. I can actually go there. So it, it, it's, it's all in the mind. And the people around can also shape that mindset. The people around. So it, it's quite important for children at a very young age to start getting exposed to the possibilities. The mind is a very powerful thing. And I think that what, whatever anyone sets their mind to do, it is possible. And that's what mm-hmm. I think that people should. That's the mindset I think people should, should have. And that that would significantly remove that barrier to attainment at that level, at primary and at secondary level. Thank you. AJ? Yeah, I mean, barriers to attainment. I mean, I just just going, I mean, I think it, it depends. Okay, so if you, if you in, in my case, I lived in a quite a ethnically diverse uh, area in northwest London. So I didn't think there were any, I mean, if anything, we were, we were pushed uh, into STEM rather than the other way around. So, and, you know, I think, I think the, 
the marking these days in you know sort of 11 plus and GCSEs and A levels and all that it's, it's fairly um, you know color neutral I, I would guess so it's it's it's, it's not the, the it's not that there I don't think there are barriers to to primary uh, to attainment in primary and secondary level education for ethnic diversity in STEM it it comes later after but yes if you do live in a predominantly white area for example then uh then then you you may face some barriers not just in step but generally thank you bearing all of this in mind what steps are needed to progress racial diversity in stem further what's lacking with this in mind robert yeah so i i think i think that um we we i mean we we all need to be honest about whether there is a, a problem or not, whether there is an issue or not. I, I think th- th- this is um, perhaps a s- shifting uh, conversation, uh, but I still um, find myself in situations where actually I'm told that there's no problem, uh, that actually it is, this, is not a problem. this is not an issue, this is not a problem. We have the sort of diversity that we, we, we need. So, um, you know, we have chemists, we have physicists, we have engineers, we have got, that's, that's diversity, that's the diversity we need. We don't need any any diversity beyond that. But I, I, I do think that actually being honest and and, and accepting what the data says, because that's, that's what some might say, the numbers don't lie, that actually there is a problem there. But I, I really do need to, to, to frame this in the context of people actually everybody realizing that STEM is much better and stronger and more and a better performer if everybody's included. And if we all, if we understood that, then we will, we will make sure if I, if I run a company and I know that I will make 25% more profit or 30% or 50% more profit by having a diver, then I will try to do that. So I'll do everything to to do that. The way that I actually do it may be different in different ways. But so I, what I'm saying here is that if we don't see the problem, we can't see we can't find the solutions. Uh, and I'm not convinced that actually everybody sees that this is a this is a, this is a problem. So that's the first hill that we uh, we have to climb and move away from, uh, from from that. I think the question of of how do you remove uh, how do you, what steps you need to take? I think there's a lot of, um, of, of, of great things that are going on. Uh, there are a lot of, if you like, um, schemes and programs that are going on. Uh, but I think we should stop seeing this in the context of projects uh, and, and, and see it as a, as, as a wholesome change that needs to come about within STEM uh, to bring about this change. And, and, and I, I like to point to, um, and I'm not necessarily making any suggestion here, but I like to point to uh, many people will be, will be familiar with Athena Swan. Now, there was a conversation going on about Athena Swan 20 or so years ago. And if you look at what actually Athena Swan has done over the last 20 years, um, 20, 15 years, in terms of, uh, of female representation in STEM, you can see that there has been a real change there. And it has been multifaceted, but actually... There was there was there was something there that was put forward as an ideal, and people were then encouraged to move in that direction. At least from an from an academia's point of view, it has made a difference. Industry, it may be a little bit different. There may be other schemes that I'm probably not so familiar with. And uh, so, what Athena Swan did is actually to move a whole sector along a certain uh, in a certain direction. And is that's the sort of thing that we 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 need? We have the example of Athena Swan to to to, to look at. Um, and perhaps that is something that we need to think about. Thank you, Robert. Away, thoughts on progress? Right. So I think that there are a lot of initiatives out there today. And different companies have different EDI policies. There's so many different things out there, so many different approaches out there for um, bridging the gap. I think that 
a lot of these steps are, are good they're necessary but sometimes it can then become just turning the wheel and it's just going on and on and there is no measurable impact there is no um, um real change i think that to be able to see real change we need to take a step back and understand the problem starting with the data the statistics we've seen and understanding why actually talking to people talking to these people who uh, are, are taking on other careers talking to people in industry who are not progressing talking to people who have progressed see what they did and how they progressed and understanding what to do and what not to do so what to do to help people who are um, um, choosing other career paths why they've chosen other career paths and for, for a lot of them their reasons will be different it's not it's not just about collecting data or sending out sending out um, 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 a poll or, or, or getting getting information having an actual conversation with them and understanding their reasons for doing this. Now, for some of them, they will have genuine reasons, but for some of them, it would be that the industry was not welcoming enough or they didn't see opportunities for growth for them, regardless of, 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 of their race um, or gender. I think that understanding the problem will really, really help in finding a lasting solution and not just exercises and more STEM events. Those are good. Those are excellent. But then going back to see where we have made a mistake and correcting the mistake or going to see the successes, the people who have actually progressed onto senior management positions or even um, senior leadership positions and understanding how they did that and replicate that model or get them to um, um, talk to people or mentor someone else or pay it forward and bring other people into that, that's, um, uh, into those positions. I think that's, for me, that would be really, really good. Thank you. So AJ, culture and building on data, do you have, do you agree and do you have further thoughts on this? Yeah, so I mean, like, you know, if, you, if, if okay, we're, today we're talking about racial diversity in STEM, but if we weren't talking about racial diversity, we were just talking about how do you attract people into STEM? Because that is also a, a discussion uh, that's that's often had. And if you go to any, almost any STEM business in the country, they'll tell you, well, you know, it's really difficult to get people, and you know, really difficult to retain them, and you know, they'll 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 run you through a long list of grievances about you know how difficult it is to get people in STEM. But twenty seven percent of graduates are STEM graduates. Uh, sorry, twenty five percent, twenty seven percent of STEM graduates are ethnic minorities so you know here, here's a problem and here's a solution right so wh why aren't we getting those two things together why aren't these 27 percent of ethnic minority engineering graduates solving the stem shortage in industry and what and what what steps are needed to to take that i mean i i've walked into sort of industry dinners and all, all that kind of stuff where where literally I'm the only ethnic minority person there there's hundreds of people at these things and um, and and these are stem subjects stem stem industry sectors so what's gone wrong why is why is it that this this has happened and it and and employers need to be a lot more proactive i think is the uh, is 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 the fundamental answer so uh, identifying your future leaders making sure that they're supported, getting those role models in place so that when the new batch of ethnic minority engineering graduates turn up, they look around and think, oh yeah, this could be a place for me to have a career. It needs to start 
you know, interviews these days, interviews, they, they have to be fair, you, you know, because anyone can challenge an interview interview process and say, right, well, you know, you didn't you didn't give me the job because of, you know, because of the color of my skin or my sexuality or my gender or whatever. And then the company has to produce the evidence to show that that's not the case. But it's too late. If you're doing this at the interview stage, you you left it far too late. So that, so it needs to start uh, much much earlier. That that's the main thing. How important are role models and trailblazers and networks of communities, particularly with networks of communities, noting the Association for Black and Minority Ethnic Engineers and the IOM three ethnic minority group as examples of which we have two representatives in Awe and AJ. Um, so I might start with Awe. I think that organisations like the Association for Black and Minority Ethnic Engineers are quite important. And one of the reasons I say that is because the AFE has a broad range of programmes that we do. So um, I did talk earlier about um, different stages of support. We do have programmes for um, um, pupils and primary and secondary schools. We have programs for university students to prepare them for the job market. We have um, CV clinics, CV workshops, transition events, talking to them about that transition from university into the workplace. Um, We also have programs for career professionals, mentoring um, programs for them. We have different leadership training uh, programs available. And we also work with companies and organizations to help them understand or assess their um, diversity and inclusion policies to help them make sure that when they're recruiting people that they do that in a diverse way and there is no um, sort of language in the in, in, in the job advert or in, in the job description that would put people off and to, to give them this impression that this is something they can't do so there's there's so much that the AFB does um, um, across the different age groups to help them. And I think that that's quite important. That's very important to make sure that at every stage of the career that we provide these programs that give them the information they need about the next stage when they're transitioning from one stage to another. Another thing that the AFP does is that we have um, we have um, a lot of individual members. We have over um, um, 200 individual members and a lot of these members are mentors in our mentoring database. So they volunteer their time to mentor younger engineers or university students. We also have programs we run um, in collaboration with um, universities and and corporate organizations, mentoring programs. Like they recently, um, well, not so recent, last year, we had a collaboration with, with um, some companies in the motorsport industry providing mentors or m- mentees from universities to um, be mentored by people who work in these organizations to give them that one leg into industry and help them understand what it's like in the workplace to prepare them. And the relationships that we facilitated last year were very beneficial to the point that some of the mentees actually got jobs in motorsports. So we can already see the importance and the, the impact that the work we're doing has on young people. Uh, our transition, um, um, our transition programs where we um, um, where we run CV clinics, CV writing workshops, interview preparation, mock interviews, um, speed type, um, speed dating style um, assessments for university students has also been really instrumental in helping them prepare for the workplace. Thank you, AJ, particularly with yeah. networks in mind. Yes, yeah, so it, it 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 shows that there's a home for them. Yeah, it shows that the the, the you know there's a there's a place 
in, at, at the Institute of Materials, Mineral Mining Materials, for, for, for ethnic minorities. It provides a focal point. It, 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 it's a kind of, you know, feeling of belonging. Uh, and then, you know, we're, we're, we're quite in our infancy at the moment, but, you know, we're hoping to run some programs and, and that sort of thing. But again, it's, it's, it's seeing that there's some people who look like me in this, in this organisation. Thank you. Robert, um, do you have a perspective on this particularly how could you relate role models trailblazers to your own experience yeah sorry about that so so i i, I think that uh, this this networks uh, are are very important and i agree with what um, uh, has already been said um, and i'm involved in uh, various um, uh, schemes of this uh, so particularly from the royal society of, uh, of of chemistry but i'll just i just make a couple of points uh the the, the first point is that um uh, this this networks are important because they are there to uh, to enable to actually provide information uh, and to assist. But we must never see these networks as having the burden of dealing with the problem or solving the problem. So I think that's a completely different thing. And to say because these networks are there, somebody's dealing with the issue. I don't have to do anything. Uh, so that would be the completely wrong uh, uh, approach. And and so we really do need to uh, have as many of these uh, networks. And of course, then my other point is to make sure that uh, the the information that they provide. The uh, opportunities that they provide are being made available to those that need them most. I know that that is happening, and I guess I'm saying that to say that there is never enough of this sort of uh, networks uh, because uh, the reason why these networks exist is because actually the people who need these networks are competing with people who are already networked so well that they don't need these networks. Uh, so you already see the disadvantage there that um, some some so, so, so section of the community has got, and and so 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 we really need to do as as much of this as we can. Uh, but wouldn't it be wonderful if we got to a a point where actually these networks are put out of function, out of business because they are not needed because everybody is so properly networked, and that is the north star. That's the that's the ideal, but we are not we are not there yet. Uh, and of course, on on the issue of role models, I, I think we've already di- discussed that. And I see the, the the my my other two panelists here as as as, as role models. And uh, and I think yeah, sometimes you don't have to say anything; you just need to exist. You just need to be there, and for somebody to know that you exist and you're there, and you're already actually having a positive impact. Uh, and sometimes just bringing out those uh, those individuals, pointing to them. Uh, as I think was mentioned earlier by uh, Awai, is really important. Thank you so much. Again, looking at interventions here, um, what role does government intervention and also philanthropic intervention have? For example, Michael Bloomberg gave or gives a lot of money to help racial diversity in STEM. Do you think that's helpful, uh, Robert? Well, I, well I, this is this is one of those situations that I'm not quoting anybody uh, where, where every, little, every little helps. If you're not against us, then of course it's... Uh, but I think that the targeting and the way that this 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 assistance and and the way it is um, put in place is uh, is absolutely important. So so I'm I do encourage this. But but actually, what also is important is not to to provide the uh, the means to be able to carry forward this um, uh, this program, but actually to be to to oneself be able to to be a, a model for what needs to be done. And to be able to uh, be an example of one who is doing what you're actually supporting to be to be done. So if you're a high-profile person, um, how do people read you uh, in terms of um, uh, diversity 
uh, in STEM. Now, of course, we, we talk about the role of government intervention. I'm not sure what government intervention uh, means here, because in, in many cases, um, the government sets, uh, sets the scene. But actually, this is, this is a much more complex issue because it, is, uh, it also speaks to uh, cultural norms, cultural intelligence, and, and, and that, which actually is very difficult to put in a, in, in a, in a, in a bottle or in a project and, uh, and, and deal with. But I think the more we have these conversations, the more everybody seems to be involved, the more everybody sees that actually somebody that I look up to is, is seeing that there's an issue here, the more the, the, the river will flow in the right direction, I would say. Thank you, Robert. Away, yes, please absolutely, speak. I completely agree. I think that in this particular instance, in this particular conversation, everybody is important. In terms of the government, yeah, like Robert said, they make the laws, they make policies, they set the frameworks. And that's where we need their support to set those frameworks that allow um, 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 or foster environments where racial injustice is dealt with and people are more empowered or more aware of the opportunities available to them. Now, with regards to philanthropic intervention, yes, we do have volunteers and people who volunteer their time and their resources to um, some of these um, endeavors. But then, um, if, for instance, an event is being held in an area of, of low socioeconomic or, or low uptake of STEM subjects, for instance, in addition to the human resources required, financial resources would be needed. And this is where philanthropic in- intervention would be. Um, important to be able to organize these events or organize these activities that would facilitate conversations or to, to, to help people come together and understand what the barriers are and how to overcome them. Thank you. And finally, AJ. Yes. Um, so, of course, every little helps. And I don't know the particular um, scheme uh, of that Michael Bloomberg does. But, you know, you know he uh, as long as in his company, they, they walk the walk as well in in their day-to-day business bloomberg is a business then then that's fine if it's just a token kind of look you know we 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 you know we we're, we're talking the talk about ethnic minority participation and here's a, a couple of million quid to show that we you know we we're, we're doing it we and and then you look at his company and it's you know not very diverse then that that's that's not a great example yes absolutely government intervention has a role to play so in my uh, line of business, you know, people are people are sort of applying for research grants and and that sort of thing. And in the past, there's always been uh, an EDNI question, but it's always been a sort of you know nice to have. You know, they throw it over to the HR department to write some nice words about it. But but more recently, these these uh, questions are being scored, and uh, in the same way that the technical scope of the proposal is being scored. So all of a sudden, people are having to take their the diversity of the project consortium uh, more seriously in our, in our line of work having all male panels is is a no no we proactively go out looking for a diverse panel so these these you know gov- government basically spends taxpayers money so you know there's a there's a little bit more of a opportunity here to 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 do good compared to a business which has you know constraints about making money and uh, you know it has has a bit more of a short term perspective thank you so we've talked about the issues and what could be done but on a positive note Analysis from McKinsey reveals a statistically significant connection between diversity and financial performance. 
the companies in the top quartile for gender diversity were 15% more likely to have financial returns that were above their national industry median. And the companies in the top quartile for racial ethnic diversity were 35% more likely to have financial returns above their national industry median. Why do you think this is, Robert? I've always been very, very clear about this. And this is one of my my messages. And that is just, it's often the, the case that people think that a, a, a more, a less diverse or a team is a better performing team. But actually, I have always known that a, if you really want to get good performance, then have a diverse team. So a, a more diverse team, a diverse team is a better performing team. It doesn't matter whether, <laughs> and I would stretch it as far as saying, get the best of who you can get, so long as they're available for you to get into that team. Whether it's a football team, it's a volleyball team, it's a network team, it's a, it's a board of an FC on 100 company, or whether it's a university, even my own research group, I have thrived on having a diverse research group. And I can endlessly tell you what impact that has had. And so it is simple. Many perhaps are still here to be believers. But if you want the best performance from a group of people, get the most diverse team. So excluding a section of the, the community from participation in STEM is actually shortchanging the UK in terms of what the UK can achieve from STEM. Truly believe that and actually it's borne out by what you just said there. Thank you. Awe. Yes, I agree. I think I think that with regards to um, having a diverse team, what that brings is not just diversity of, of race or gender. I think it's diversity of thought. People who have different ideas from the norm. People who have more more ideas basically for how to approach a particular problem different ways of looking at it and collectively as a team as a group you can then explore these different options and agree on the most effective solution but then when you don't have that diversity of thought and diversity of of ideas then you're only the, the only idea you have available is what you can see in front of you and as robert said earlier if you can only see as far as a village you can't see what's beyond if you don't have those people there to bring that diversity of thought and this diversity of thought comes from culture comes from different cultures different belief systems different environments growing up just many many different things and aspects of life that have shaped shaped people up in different environments and bringing all of that together these experiences put together can make a particular team more effective than a team where there's only one group of people who have only have who've only had one set of lived experiences or one one sort of theme of cultural and cultural beliefs and all of that. So that diversity in a team improves performance. And I completely agree with that. Thank you. And AJ? Yeah, it's kind of obvious, isn't it, really? I mean, if you have a group of people trying to solve a problem and they've all gone to the same type of school, they've all lived in the same type of area, they've all gone to the same type of religious thing, they've all gone to the same, they've all got the same sort of friends, they all watch the same sort of TV, they all watch the same sort of films, they all went to, you know, did everything the same. Well, you know, guess what? They're all going to come up with the same answer. You know, your opportunity for creativity, for original thought, for, well, diverse thinking actually and and sometimes you know as i said before you walk into you walk into a, an industry forum and you and you look at the audience and you think well you know you know how 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 are you as an industry going to face the challenges of the future when you are just so homogenous in your in your makeup you know you're going to be at a disadvantage 
compared to organizations or sectors which are which are more diverse. It's, it's obvious. Thank you, AJ. On that obvious note, what other potential ven- benefits could greater diversity in STEM have, say, on research and engineering outcomes? If I could just, just come in on that. I, I think we've alluded to those already, to, to talking about uh, research and engineering outcomes. It is that sort of um, uh, having that diversity of thought that has already been elaborated very, very clearly and diversity of experience. And and I find that actually some of the best answers have come out of uh, thinking out of, outside the box. And sometimes thinking out that the box means actually bringing in people from different directions. You know, I, I've even got to the extent of saying that we have actually, we, we have gotten to the point where we define success in a very uh, monolithic way. We say that for somebody to be successful, they have to have done this and this and this and this. And therefore, when we find somebody who's done something that is slightly different, they are extremely good at what we want them to do. But because they haven't done what we see as successful before, we are, we count them out. I, I think we just need to 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 be more open-minded about what success looks like, to actually uh, understand and agree that um, success can look different from our own or success can be different from anything that we've ever seen before. But it, in a sense, for certain organizations, it does feel like it's it's taking take, taking a, a little bit of a risk. But actually, we do need to make that next step to say, okay, we've done this thing like this for all this time. Let's do things a little bit differently. And I think the rewards, specifically in terms of diversity in STEM, I'm sure will will manifest themselves because then it just means that everybody is uh, has got a level playing field and they're making their contribution, and everybody can thrive. And if everybody's thriving, then obviously the whole sector will thrive. Thank you, Robert. Bearing in mind um, what he has said about, you've alluded to this answer a little bit. Does anyone have anything else to add? Yeah, I, okay. So I, I, a, a very unscientific uh, test, but um, have a look at the makeup of the uh, FTSE 100 CEOs in the UK. And then have a look at the makeup of the top 100 rich people in the Sunday Times rich list and see if you notice any difference. It's a good test. It's not very scientific, but it's a good test. So, you know, here's a bunch of people who've, you know, got drive. They've obviously got original ideas. They've made extremely, extremely successful businesses out of out of their ideas. And, and they didn't have any of the sort of corporate privileges or societal privileges that the that the FTSE 100 CEOs had so there's there's a there's a test thank you AJ we're coming to our closing question now to leave on something a bit personal I'm going to ask who your greatest STEM hero is and please um, detail anything that you feel that you want to add about that particular person Robert greatest STEM hero. I have, I have, I have uh, many. Given that uh, recently, uh, India managed to put a um, a lander on the South Pole of the Moon. Maybe my mind is concentrated on the Moon and talking about Catherine Johnson, who some of you may be familiar with. So I think uh, not just because of the achievement and the great mathematician that she was, human computers have referred to her as, uh, but the challenges, the huge challenges that she faced to be able to do. Uh, what she was um, uh, good at, uh, both because of her uh, being, being being a woman and her her, her race. Um, so yes, there you go. Today is Catherine Johnson for me. Okay, thank you. And Awe, I think I, I do have hero. a number of of um, STEM heroes, but for today, I would say Ada Lovelace. She she 
contributed to the analytical um, um, engine that Charles Babbage produced. I, I find her fascinating and encouraging because of her work. Initially, her contribution to the analytical engine was not recognized, but was later then recognized. And she, um, she even had, they even had a programming language named after her at the U.S. Department of Defense. So I find her story fascinating. She, she had these um, um, ideas back then that to the point that her mom thought she was mad. So the, the, the fact that she could potentially think about the future. And I think she, one of her, her works was into how the, the brain processes neurons through electrical impulses. She was able to go beyond the, the technology of her time and and innovate regardless of the male-dominated engineering um, industry at the time. Thank you, Awe. And finally, AJ, a hero. Well, I've got two, actually, and um, they're both very personal to me. When I first started, my very, very first job after graduating, there was a a gentleman in in the company, and he kind of latched on to me. I mean, bear in mind, I was the only black person, only non-white person in this place. And he kind of believed in me, and he supported me, and he you know, encouraged me and he made suggestions for me. And, you know, he was just uh, amazing, amazing white guy. Um, and he just sort of mentored me like, uh, and, and it, it just made such a difference to my career and my belief in uh, in what I could do. And my other um, hero really is my, my current line manager at Innovate UK KTN, Robert Kwashi, who is a person of color. And he he's just an absolutely incredible fellow. Uh, the the you know the role model that we've been you know the role model that we've uh, been talking about uh, today. He absolutely epitomizes it. Uh, you know he started off in um, British Steel. You know he must have been a must have been the only black person in that place. And I mean he's he's just such a just such an inspiration. How he you know cuts cuts through all the nonsense and you know does does and he inspires us he really does inspire us to be the best we can thank you thank you to all of you that was really very interesting i i could sit and listen to you for longer okay yeah so you know the, the future is bright is is my point because you know when i was at school you know all the all the white kids used to hang around in the playground in one bit of the playground all the black kids used to hang around in another bit of the playground and all the Asian kids used to hang around another bit of the playground. If you, go, if you, if you check the kids today, they're just, they're just somehow able to see through the color. And, you know, and that's, you know, I see the school kids around where I live. And, and it's just such a, I mean, sometimes I get quite emotional when I just see kids on, you know, of all different colors, just hanging out together. They, the, the color is not a thing anymore. And so I, I, I think in the future, it's just going to be a lot better than what it was when I was growing up. Well, just, just, oh, sorry. Just, just very, very quickly to, to add. I mean, we've, we've talked a lot. We've talked about statistics. We've talked about. So any young person out there listening, and it doesn't matter who, who you are um, and what your color is, any young person whatsoever, you know, don't let the statistics define you. Those are not your statistics yet. Uh, you will make your own statistics, as it were. If STEM is what you enjoy, if that's what you want to do, that's what you enjoy, go for it. Just go for it and do it. And uh, and, and don't let anything, uh, particularly not the statistics. Thank you. For more information about us, visit iom3.org. 
Or to keep up to date with our latest news, follow us on social media using at IOM3 on Twitter and at the Institute of Materials, Minerals and Mining on LinkedIn. If you're interested in our upcoming podcasts or want to get involved, please subscribe to hear more from us through Apple, Google Podcasts or Spotify. Spotify.